You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Welcome to Heartbeat. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us this evening as we uh, plan to have a spirited conversation tonight. We have several things to talk about. Uh, First off, we want to uh, bring in on the first uh, part of our show. I don't know if all of you know this, but we actually have uh, a chair to the Democratic Party in uh, each state here in Washington state. And recently, we have a newly elected chair to the Washington State Democrats. I'm so excited to introduce those of you who don't know her to our community. I want to welcome Shasti Conrad on with us today uh, to bring her in and let's uh, get to know her a little bit. Let me tell you what I know about Shasti. So Shasti, let's bring her in with me too so she can correct me if I'm uh, not on point here. But what I know about Shasti is this, she served at least two terms as the chair to the King County Democrats. So she's been the chair in the largest county here in Washington state. She's also served uh, on Barack Obama's campaign. She has worked on Bernie Sanders' campaign. She is a progressive, younger energetic leader in our community that I don't know that everybody knows, but she's now elected to lead the Democratic Party here in Washington State. Let me welcome Shasti on with me this evening. Shasti, welcome to Heartbeat again. You've been on in the past. Hi, Cindy. It's so great to be here. And yeah, it's exciting to see the new format for the show and just see you kicking ass and doing all the things. So. Yeah, we we all we all like to kick ass a little bit here, Shasti. <laughs> but uh, it's not about me tonight. It's about you. I'm excited to know that you are the chair, and I uh, believe the community would love to hear uh, about your vision and your ideas for the Washington Democrats. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you. I'm going to give you some time to brag about yourself. We all are are cheering for you. So let's hear what's going on from your perspective about your vision for where we take the Democrats here in Washington state. Well, thanks so much for that. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. I was elected as the new chair for the Washington State Democrats. This is my third week on the job. And so uh, it is still fresh and exciting. Um, uh, I am the first woman of color to lead the state party. And I'm the youngest chair that we've ever had. Um, And I, in my first week, went to the Democratic National uh, Committee's winter meeting and found out that I am the first South Asian woman to lead a state party, um, either for the Democrats or the Republicans in the entire country. And we think the first AAPI chair um, in the contiguous 48 states. So it's pretty exciting. We're making some history here. And, you know, Washington State, we have made a lot of really great history these last couple of years related to our diversity of our elected officials. Um, you know, we're just coming off of this really fantastic 2022 cycle where we again elected the most diverse state legislature that we've ever had. Um, and we have a wonderful leadership in 
the uh, Black Caucus down in Olympia right now doing great work for the state legislature led by Representative David Hackney and, you know, April Byrd, Jamila Taylor, um, so many amazing folks um, leading the way down there that we're really proud to support. And that was actually where Cindy and I worked together a couple of years ago um, to help elect these incredible Black women to um down to, to the state ledge and now they're just like they're really making a difference and it's so exciting to see um how the numbers are also growing um we we did chastity we you know we started this um what how many years ago was it two or four years ago now yeah. where we were doing the work behind the scenes to help uh you were one of the founders of opportunity pack which was a political action committee to help fund and raise money to get black women elected into office and at the time when we did this during COVID, we hardly had any black women in office and now we are progressing those numbers so thank you for being a leader in that space to help move this mountain i won't say needle move this mountain forward to get people elected yeah. I, you know, I want to hear, you know, when I say black community, I also mean brown community, too. So I just want to make sure I'm inclusive of that. And I'm including diverse community, right? People who represent uh, non-white uh, spaces who are out uh, needing representation in our elected positions. And so what would you say? I know we have several people down session is going on right now. What's your kind of overview of what's happening in Olympia right now with the elect with the legislation? Yeah, we're right sort of in the middle of um, session right now. I think today is day 38 or 39 of 105 day session. Um, and so our legislators are really busy passing, trying to get these bills um, out of committee and hopefully um, we'll get some good progressive legislation passed. We had um, middle income housing is up back up and being debated. We've got a number of really important bills related to the environment and climate. Um, there is a, I know there's a bill right now that's looking at um, the racist um, covenants, covenants that um, dictated who could buy property in different neighborhoods. And that is a bill that I think is really important and has an opportunity to make a difference in um, home ownership for black and brown um, folks. Um, you know, on the electoral side, we were really excited that um, there's a bill that we have been trying to move the last couple of years to remove the advisory votes off of the ballot, which are these um these these votes that like actually don't really mean anything they're almost like survey questions but they sometimes take up half the ballot and they were put there and mostly led by republicans as a way to try to tire people out from actually like confuse voters and make it so that they saw a too long a ballot and decided that it wasn't worth it and so that finally made it out of um the Senate and is now moving back over to the House. Um, and we're really hopeful that we're going to pass that one this year. We've also got a bill that's looking at trying to move some of our elections to even years. Um, so there's a lot of really exciting stuff that's happening um, down in the state legislature. And I think much more progressive legislation is moving through because of all of the electoral work that we did to get really incredible um, progressive legislators of color um, elected. You know, this year we had um, most of the King County um, new legislators are people of color. Julia Reed, Daria Farivar, Chapalo Street, um, Emily Alvarado. These are all young people of color that are already really making a difference down in Olympia. So it's exciting. I feel like, you know, a lot of hope around what we're doing in Washington State. Um, you know, we had a great electoral win in flipping 
um, the congressional seat in CD3 with Marie Perez. And we kept Kim Schreier. And so, you know, we've got a lot of like momentum going for us. And now, in, you know, this role, I get to just keep, you know, we, we're going to defend the seats that we won this past cycle and make sure that we keep growing and expanding, you know, the Democratic base across the state. Yeah, it is really exciting to see it. Uh, I don't remember the numbers, but is it like nine well, members of caucus in total, how many people are there now representing people of color? Um, I believe we're over 10 and I, I don't know the exact number and I will have to like look for that. But I I know that we are definitely growing um, and it's really exciting to see. And they're in leadership roles, too. Like that's the other really exciting part. Um, Representative Jamila Taylor is the a deputy um, majority leader in the House. Um, we've got folks that are leading most of the committees that are led by people of color. Um so it's really it's great, too, because it's it's they're actually getting some um, room to be able to make real difference. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Why? Um, what was the reason for the transition or the reason why uh, we've had Tina on a heartbeat a few times? Uh, and I think we all think very highly of her. What what was behind the decision to for her to not continue on and for you to step in? Yeah, I think, you know, Tina had been in this role for six years. Mm -hmm. And I think that she reached a point where, you know, like so many of us, she had missed so many, you know, of her kids basketball games and missed holidays. And I think she just reached a point where she felt that it was time to spend time with her family and that, you know, she'd had, she went out on top, you know, we had one of the best cycles. Mm -hmm ever and i think she really felt like this was the best um kind of time to to leave it on a high note i think also you know to give her real credit you know we had a lot of conversations around succession planning and mm -hmm. about what the democratic party needs to grow and expand and she felt really strongly about a woman of color leading the party and you know i I might, you know, I was campaigning a bit in January and I, you know, talked a lot about the fact that, you know, seeing Speaker Pelosi hand the gavel to Hakeem Jeffries and mm -hmm. what that signaled for the entire Democratic Party about making room for this next generation of leadership and that it should be younger. It should be a person of color. It should be a woman of color. Mm -hmm. And Tina, I think, felt really strongly that that was what we needed here in Washington mm -hmm. state as well. Yeah, I want to I want to publicly thank her for her service in the uh, role of the chair. I I I think highly of her, and uh, I have watched her on the campaign trail and being out and visible. And uh, I just want to say thank you to her for her service and for her advocacy to bring people of color along because it requires uh, women. It requires women who are in leadership positions and women who don't look like us. It requires that they make room for us in the space of leadership. So let me just publicly thank Tina Polowski for her service as the chair of uh, Washington State. Uh, Shasi, you know, you, you've served on, you know, Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders campaigns. And so you come out of a, a, a national lens on politics. You come uh, out of working on um, issues, uh, you know, for, you're a millennial, right? I mean, I'm, I'm your mama's age. Um, <laughs> you know, talk to us about 
like your aspirations or where you see the things that we should be focusing on as at, in here in the state of Washington? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, part of the decision to step into this role is a real belief that if we are going to continue to win, but if we're going to actually really address the the big crises that we have facing us, you know, like there's no little things anymore. These are big when we're talking about um, police accountability, we're talking about climate change, we're talking about um, housing and homelessness. Like these are big, big, big challenges in front of us. Um, it's going to be us, right? It's going to be it's going to be our generation. It's going to be younger people. It's going to be people of color. It's going to be the folks who are the most directly impacted by this, who have got to be at the table. We have to be leading. It has to be our voices. And, and, and I think also that like, I recognize the need to expand, to create more room for, for more people. Um, uh, a friend uh, was reminding me, you know, he's like, you're, you're kind of our, the first millennial to have a statewide position. You're the tip of the spear for all of us who are looking to continue to make a difference and grow in our careers and hopefully, you know, move up into these some of these other offices. And I, I take that as like it's it's important to me that I lead and that I help to sort of lead the party to see that there's value in bringing this next generation forward. Um, you know, for myself, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm brand new into this job. I'm committed here. Um, I'm excited about what the opportunities to, to do this in my own home state, you know, um, to build and grow the party here. And then, you know, we'll see where all of that takes me. But for now, I'm excited to just like get to do this work, you know, in my own backyard right here. Yeah, we're excited to have you, Shasti. I think it's just commendable. Uh, I want to just uh, offer the invitation uh, before we let you go. I have three of my regular co-hosts on with me uh, this evening. I want to welcome in Stephanie Coverson, Joy Stanford, and Aaron Jones. In case the th any of the three of them have any questions for you uh, before we uh, head into the second part of the show. Hi, ladies. <laughs> Yeah. Do do any of you have any thoughts or questions for Shasti that we want to ask her before we let her go? I don't have questions, but having run for office um, and having been around Shasti quite a bit with the Opportunity Pack, um, man, you've got it. You've got a heavy lift in front of you. And I, so I guess what I would say to you is, you know, how can we support you? Because That's I right. know you can't do this by yourself. Right. So, you know, how do we on the outside support you because here's the other thing i'm not well you'd have to really convince me why why i should come back to meetings because i i was in meetings and i'm not willing to that anymore. um so i'm gonna be supporting you from the outside but what are what are some ways for you? great question I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's it's so good to see all of you. And Joy and Aaron were right alongside us leading the way on Opportunity Pack. So it's really great to um, be in this moment. Um, yeah, you ladies all know, I mean, I, I don't even have to really say it, but you all know what it is to be the first. You know, you know how hard it is to be a woman of color trying to make change at all. Um, but certainly being... Um, you know, that's definitely like I'm, I'm pushing against some really tall walls um, and I'm doing the best that I can. I think I've had a few moments where folks have tried to put me in my in my in my place and 
I just keep feeling like if I can help bust this through so that other women of color behind me are able to have a better experience with the Democratic Party, have a better experience running for office, then all of this is going to be worth it. Um, and I just keep like when it gets tough, that is what is guiding me through. Um, and then, you know, you you all know some of the, probably the, the doubts that have come Um you know, there's the whispers of, can I do this? Am I ready? Can I raise the money? Um, and so any sort of support to demonstrate that, yes, absolutely, I can leave this party. Yes, we can raise the resources that we need to make sure that we are continuing to win um, up and down the, you know, up and down the state, across the state. All of that is very, very, very helpful. Um, and just your support and knowing you have my back is means the world to me so we'll start there i'm doing the work to both on outreach and retention um i know those meetings are difficult um and they have a rough track record in how they've treated particularly candidates of color and so i don't want to i want to make sure we're doing the work to clean them up before and make them safe before i say come on back in but give me a few months um and then i would love to see you at one of the you know, LD or county party meetings and certainly at the state level. Let me just comment, Shasti, we have your back. And so uh, we are definitely, this group of women here come on live every week and we talk and unpack a lot of these issues. What you just described about the wall, that was a very polite way of how you described it. Um, we know it's there. We know what you're dealing with. So we are happy uh, to step in and help you fundraise and all the things we all do anyhow that most people don't know about, but we're happy to support you. I want to thank you for coming on uh, and spending a few minutes with us to talk to us. And so if it's okay with you, I'm going to reach back out to you in a few months and have you just come back and update us on how things are going. And I think on behalf of Stephanie, Aaron, and Joy and myself, I think any one of us are happy to take your call or text message when you need our help. And so with that, I'm going to go to commercial. Thank you for coming on with the Shasti. And we're going to come back and pick back up where she left off with the uh, remaining commentators. Thank you, Shasti. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cindy. What's up, everybody? Trey Holiday here, and I'm so excited that Converge Media is doing a Black History Month takeover at the iconic Sankofa Theater. That's right. We're going to be looking back to look forward in this amazing space as we curate our own segments of Black History with our friends there at Sankofa Theater. Shout out to our partners, Friends of Waterfront Seattle, the Elite Collective, and the Vita Agency for joining us on this amazing journey. Of course, the whole Converge family is going to be in the building February 20th through the 24th. Y'all do not want to miss these segments. Join us and can't wait to see you there. COVID-19 hurt my income, my health, and my family. We were about to lose our home when we heard we might be eligible for homeowner assistance funds from the government. We called 1-877-894-HOME and a housing counselor stepped in, talked to our lender, and saved our home. Federal funding details at WashingtonHalf.org. That's WashingtonHAF.org. This winter, Seattle Opera presents the world premiere of A Thousand Splendid Sons. Based on the best-selling novel by Khalid Hosseini, this new opera tells the breathtaking story of two Afghan women brought together under the brutal 
Taliban rule, there has never been a more important time for this story to be on stage. Make this world premiere part of your plans today. Don't miss A Thousand Splendid Songs, February 25th through March 11th at McCall Hall. Details at seattleopera.org. What's up, everybody? You know, me and Besa, my girl, we had to pull up to Market Street Shoes once again, y'all. And you know, we do this every season. We have to get the new shoes, the new boots. And this time, I even got a coat. Yeah, no, you did walk in without a coat. I really I'm did. glad you found one. But their boots were on point. Yes, the boots, the bags. I even grabbed a flannel. Yeah, you did. You know, and I was able to get some hats and everything. I was really impressed. And you know, I was impressed because, of course, I got those white boots that you guys see me wearing everywhere these days. Yeah, no, I, I look at your white boots and I'm like, darn it, they only have one pair. Me and Basin wear the same size. Of course, every time we walk out with several bags in hand. Several bags and sometimes even a backpack, you guys. Make sure you check out Market Street Shoes. Yeah, please check them out. where they go, Basa? Ooh, 2232 Northwest Market Street, Seattle, Washington. Welcome back to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, it was so fun uh, and exciting to hear from our newly elected chair of the Washington Democrat, Shasti Conrad, uh, who just kind of gave us a high level of her stepping into the seat, um, what her view is or vision is for Washington State and the work in front of her that she needs to do. You know, one of the things she mentioned um, that we're actually going to talk more about uh, with my commentators here. Uh, she commented and she used the term the wall that she faces. So, look, this show is about prosperity for Black America. And we all know what happens when Brown or Black women, Brown or Black people step into leadership positions and the assumptions that are made about us um, to question our capability and our competency in roles. And frankly, we've saw so much of it this past week in the news about what happens when black people or black women step up, stand up, shine, when we shine, what that creates. Let me bring in uh, the three co-hosts with me this evening again, Stephanie Coverson, Joy Stanford, and Aaron Jones. I just want to unpack a lot of this because I think we all know what Shasti is getting ready to face uh, in her role as a leader. And she's also young. So I'm, you know, that's going to be another interesting dynamic for her that uh, people don't feel that um, they can actually work for a young woman or work for a brown woman <laughs> in this regard who now has power. We've seen this past week, you know, I don't even know where to begin. We've seen, um, let's just talk about the Super Bowl. We saw a black woman shining by singing the black national anthem. We saw a black woman shining at halftime just to uh, social media to, uh, what's the word, just just come after her so so hard that I found myself swinging back as well because I read words that people use to describe black women. And it's disgusting to me to see and feel and experience what happens when any of us dare to shine. That's where I'm going to start the second part of this conversation. Erin, I want to start with you because I saw your um, hashtag is Afroeducator on TikTok and I listened to a few of your comments. Let's just talk about that. What, what, did, the, what did you guys think about this past week and what do you think about you know, 
how we can help Shasti in this regard because she's going to face some very difficult times in front of her. Well, I just think it's incredibly ironic that um, Black History Month started last week and we are seeing knocks on AP African-American history. We're, man, I got calls from two different schools where kids are being called the N-word just in the last two weeks, where people are wondering why do Black people have their own national anthem as if they don't know the history of the original national anthem and why that I mean, the numbers of people who had never heard that that anthem before, Lift Every Voice and Sing, like I, the numbers of people that I saw on social media who had never heard of it before and couldn't understand why and didn't know the history of why, in particular, this week it was really important to sing that song. Um, but then the critiques of Rihanna and being pregnant, just all the ways that we are being knocked down while at the same time, more states in the nation writing legislation against the teaching of Black history, against the mention of anything related to race in classrooms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. just gross. It's really gross to me. And mm -hmm. and as I've said on all my social media, it hurts us all. It doesn't hurt just hurt Black people. It's mm -hmm. actually hurting. White people have lost a piece of their humanity in the middle of all this too. I think it's important to add uh, that the attacks on black women are not just coming from white people. <laughs> it is coming from everywhere. Yes. Stephanie, what do you think about, I know you and I have talked about it quite a bit this week. Um, <laughs> what are you thinking about all of this? Um, I just have to echo, I think, um, Aaron's disgust and uh, just the the disheartening um, state of affairs here. And so you can have, so Rihanna is the richest uh, female musician um, or black female musician in the world. Um, she is second, the second richest black woman behind Oprah Winfrey. Um, she can get on the Super Bowl um, do an amazing performance. And actually this performance, more people watched Rihanna's halftime show than they watched the Super Bowl. <laughs> then they watched the Super Bowl. And for her to be subjected to critique, um, bashing, um, again, not only from white folks, but also from, I'm just going to call it out, uh, Black men and other men of color and including um, black women and women of color. Um, so just it, I, I challenge um, anyone to uh, sing for 15 minutes, suspend it up in the air, hit all your notes, all your steps and have your um, diaphragm and uh, bladder smushed <laughs> because you're <laughs> pregnant <laughs> and, and still sound good, right? Mm -hmm. And still sound good. But we can have um, folks that do not happen to be Black women um, on the Super Bowl stage doing a whole lot less to rave reviews. And so how perfect and magical um, do black women have to be to uh, get our flowers? Well, I just, why, I don't understand. 
And why is there such a heavy critique about Black women? Like, what is it that is driving people? Um, what is it? Joy, what do you think about that? I think it's at this moment, we are unapologetic about who we are, what we do, what we stand for. Um, Friday was rough for me as as Aaron I didn't know um, was getting these calls. I, I'm, I'm thinking it might have been from from folks I knew. Um, I was crying and screaming at the same time Friday, and still by Sunday night on my weekly call with my sisters in California, I was still crying because I was like, "What do we have to do to move past this?" To to change the world. Like we're all here, the work that we do individually, collectively, in collaboration with other folks, we are trying to change the world for better. We're trying to leave a legacy for our kids for better. And every time we get two steps, I'm gonna say 20 steps forward, we get knocked down 50 steps backwards. And so the culmination of Friday and <laughs> Excuse me. What's happening? <laughs> Excuse me. In my school district and in the world is just too much. What's happening in your school district, Joy? Let me let me let you get some water and we'll come back to that. I yeah, think I can talk about that a little bit because uh yeah, that's that's the phone call that I got last week. Um, and and met had to meet with the dad, the black dad of a child who was not the child called the N word, but is on the team with the child called the N word at a basketball game. Um, and I will say I'm not going to call out the district because that this is just one of many districts where this is happening right now, where children are being called out their name, the N word. And I I just spoke on a national stage about this. White men and white women. Well, white women a little bit different, but white men who tend to be in charge of stuff have no idea what it feels like to be called the N-word because there is not a word in the English language that feels like the N-word feels to us. Now, for a woman, the B-word is the closest approximation, I think, C-word maybe too. Um, but what I am seeing, the number of schools where our babies are being called the N-word exponentially increased. And, and the horrifying thing is it's schools where the black students typically are less than 5% of the population, where that word, like I literally got calls from two superintendents in predominantly white school districts, and this is not even Joy's district. Two superintendents called me and said, Erin, the children are using the N-word in the hallway so much, I don't know what to do. Two white superintendents called me. Well, it clearly, you know, not, when I go back to, you know, what Shasti was sharing, um, around her wall that she's got to go up against. What Joy was just talking about, Joy is in the Gig Harbor Peninsula School District where there are a lot of those issues going on. And then I was commenting about how there's so much visceral reaction to anybody that's got darker skin. And it's even coming from people with dark skin who see us as Black women, you know, Stephanie's going to chuckle at this a little bit because she saw me swing hard. I was so irritated to see us being 
called out and spoken about as being non-feminine when we're angry um, by the same people who lean on us and call us to help them. They see us as warriors who are willing to go out and fight and do things, which we are. We are the people leading the change in our communities. But then they criticize us so hard and laugh about it and play ignorant that, what did I do? You know, what did I say? Um, The disregard for black women, you know, the disregard for us is so egregious. The disrespectful behavior and blowing it off as just commentary on Facebook is no longer acceptable. Like we, it is putting us in danger. Our children are in danger. Our children are being called ridiculous names. How do we begin to address this? Like it doesn't feel like it's getting better. It feels like it's escalating. What should we be doing to try to address this behavior here in our communities? The first um I just wanted to chime in. I find it fascinating um, that uh, school districts and superintendents and principals can absolutely find ways, for example, to curtail the use of the F-bomb. Like I, when my daughter was going to school, when I was going to school, uh, for youth that I know in school currently now, Appropriate action is taken, you know, with the F-bomb. I find it extremely interesting that we don't know what to do when the N-bomb, you know, is is being used. And so I think one of the first steps uh, that needs to happen is we we need to start uh, or we need to demand um, and hold folks uh, accountable for giving the same energy to other quote unquote inappropriate language in the workplace, in uh, school districts, uh, universities, sort of all of those pieces, because it can be done. And so uh, particularly in higher education, I continue to find it fascinating that we can find ways to silence black and brown people who are exercising their, quote unquote, First Amendment rights. Um, But when uh, white identifying folks are exercising theirs, it's a, oh, don't touch them. You know, this is a First Amendment issue. And so I think uh, cease and desisting with the weaponization of the First Amendment. Um, I also think, uh, again, giving the same energy in social media, the, the content guidelines, Um, So, for example, um, you can be banned, suspended, or have your uh, social media posts taken down for calling out racism and racist content, but the racist post that you're objecting to is left up. And so we need to start expecting and demanding the same energy, particularly when these institutions are uh, receiving our taxpayer dollars or capitalizing off of the creativity 
of black culture, of mm-hmm. black content creators. Like these folks are making money off of us, yet will not uh, take appropriate action when outright racism and harassment is occurring in these spaces. It's a great point, uh, Stephanie, because when you look at um, when you look at some of the social platforms, even the quote unquote professional platform of LinkedIn that has uh, black women calling things out all over the place and and the banning that continues to happen to their posts, but not the banning of the people who are making the comments. Um, it feels, you know, the word I keep using is tipping point, right? Like it feels like we're at a tipping point where we can't tolerate this anymore. And it doesn't feel like organizations or um, leadership is coming to help us, it coming to help or help to solve it. It just has to be so egregious before anything is done. And the egregiousness, I have not read the news today, but we see school shootings every day. I mean, this this disruption or eruption, I should say, the increased amount of violence being taken against people, against kids, against black people. I, I'm just not clear anymore how we actually, we as black women are constantly giving feedback and coaching. And Erin, to your point, you're taking phone calls. I take phone calls. I've had to curtail a lot of it because I can't deal with it every single day with the kind of questions and the pressure that it feels like we get barraged with to help solve problems from people. I don't know. I'm I'm just at a point where I don't know what we do about any of this anymore and who's willing to step in and help solve some of these problems. Your thoughts, Erin? Yeah. Um, all those white women out there who say you're allies, all of you who say you're allies, all the white men out there who say you're allies, I need you to actually show up and do this. This is not our work, actually. This is the work of white folks who say they're allies. So you don't get to call yourself an ally if you're not willing to step in. And I'll just give a really good example here. So in Olympia School District, um, kind of a long story, but if you just Google Olympia School District and BIPOC student clubs, um, students were just told, or the district just put out a memo that students can no longer have BSUs that are exclusively black or exclusively students of color. They have to be open to white students. And anyway, I understand the legalities of that. And what's really exciting is I have two white female friends who said, how do we show up? And I said, y'all, I'm not the one who's going to write she a letter. She said she can't I need, get in. I need you two to write the letter. I need you two Boy, to She had to drop off. She's back oh, in. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, but I have two white women friends who are writing letters to the school district, writing letters to the school board, um, writing letters to the newspaper. And that's how we need our white allies to actually show up and be allies because this is not our work. And and the irony is there's all this talk and there's a new podcast out, I've forgotten the name of it now, but it's the alphabet something um, about the, oh, the alphabet boys, about the FBI putting folks inside BLM to hoping to catch them in horrible acts of violence. The reality is black folks have never had an uprising against white people, but that's the narrative that keeps getting propelled that we're the ones who are violent. 
But I would, I would argue that it's white people who have demonstrated violence, violent tendencies. And so this is not a black people problem. We're not the ones being violent. It's white people. So those of you that say you're allies that you want to help, I need you to show up in these spaces. I need you to show up at board meetings. We have done our work and we're showing up in ways that are positive. We, it's your turn now. And I would add to that, um, I have had no less than six conversations with people of color who do not identify as black, um, who have been in spaces where horrifically uh, anti-black racist rhetoric, uh, stereotypes, just awful language. And so I would call in folks um, who have white adjacency, um, who sit uh, with some privilege, right, and prejudice given that they are not white, but they don't have that those black identities too. We need you all to step in as well. We need um, we need y'all to 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 step in, write those letters, uh, show up, um, and and speak out. And it and it can be disconcerting and uncomfortable. Um, but people are dying. Like people's lives are being irrevocably changed um, due to the violence, the misogyny, the racism, um, all of the misogynoir um, and these attacks on black women. And it's time to stop bystanding and then making calls talking about how that was so horrible that that happened. We need to see you step into those spaces. I think I think Cindy. Oh, I can't hear Cindy. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Now I can. Yeah. Okay. I was going to add. I'll, I'll get to you, Joy. Um, yeah. I was going to add to what Aaron and Stephanie just said that my experience with our uh, white adjacent friends or allies is that the those who do step in um they get slapped around i, I was gonna, i was going to say bitch slapped for a second and they go away because they've not experienced this backlash before and so one moment of that can tend to put people who have never been historically subject to having to deal with this, it puts them back into a space of fear and discomfort to have to stand up against a system like this or other people because the people who are perpetuating it um, are not people who are historically challenged or confronted and particularly by people that look like them. And so to both of your points, Joy, I'll bring you in here, to both of your points, we need help and the help has to be sustained. It can't just be a one-time event of one letter. We need your advocacy. We need your help. And by the way, I'm just going to say this, and then I'm going to bring you in, Joy. Just this week alone, I have written three different letters of recommendation for two Black women and one Brown woman who are going back to school to get educated in these spaces so that they can help mm -hmm. lead this next generation. Why is it only brown and black women seeking further education to lead and no one else? 
Joy, what was your question or your comment? That you, know, you, were you, you had asked me, you know, what had happened. And I think what I would say is, you know, on Friday, I read this where the school district said it February was the love month, but made no mention of Black History Month. So that kind of kicked it off. And then um, the finding out about the young lady, Black young athlete, female athlete who was called the N-word. And then that escalated to nothing's happened. The young lady that called her the name, nothing's happened. <clears throat> you know, it all was just compounded. And and Aaron made a good point about our allies need to step up. If, if you're in this space and you are our white female friends and you're in this space, you need to go as hard as we're going is what I would say. So, and we all have friends who are doing that um, work. Um, and we, we know of friends and we were collaborating with friends who are doing that work. So, you know, someone said, what do you think we should do, Joy? And I'm like, oh, that is not for me to say. Um, I can give you some ideas, but I will not be participating. I'm gonna let you, you all take the lead here. I'm tired, I'm traumatized. Um, and I, you know, I think back, I was talking to my sisters and I think back, we've been doing this since 1985 when a friend of ours was killed um, in our community of San Mateo, California. Uh, Patrick Lewis was shot in the back of the head, unarmed black youth uh, by a police officer, 1985. So, that's when my marching began, you know, doing doing that work. And then we've done that work throughout our lifetimes. At what point does the work stop? Or the work, we have so many people, the work is many hands light work. Yeah. That's for me. Because I'm I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm I'm disappointed, uh, truly. Um, I'm, I'm happy I'm to the point now this week, I, I don't tear up and start crying, but, you know, it wasn't like that last week, you know, Friday and over the weekend in the beginning of the week, I was still pretty teary about all of the stuff. And so I'm like, when are we going to get to where we need to get to? And, you know, I say it's black girl magic. And as, and you said it so well online, Cindy, as soon as we start to shine just a little bit. People are trying to put that, put that shine out, put that light out, put that fire out. No, we're here. We're going to stay and we're going to continue to be unapologetically who we are, which is Black, female, and awesome. I almost feel like the uh, survival techniques or the way... I'll just speak for myself, right? The survival technique to be able to function is that I have to tune out, even though it's hard because we all live on social media. Our businesses, three of us have businesses here, right? We have to be on social media to do our work and to stay visible and viable. But it also exposes us to be able to see 24-7, the yep. e even from people that we least expect it to come from. And so that makes it even more yep. intensifying to see um, the flagrant comments without consideration for 
how we might receive comments like that, that are, you know, it's just, it's absolutely awful. And there's almost no getting away from it. I don't know. I didn't hear you, Joy. It's, It's almost like there's no getting away from it. There's almost no getting away from it. What, how are you all coping with all of this? Only go on social media once a day. <laughs> well, three of us. So you, you th- the because other three of us are. You three yeah, are. We have businesses. businesses. So I don't have a business. Yeah. So I Stephanie and, like. Mm-mm. Stephanie, what do you and Aaron think about how, I mean, I, I've noticed even, I'll just speak to it for, with Aaron. I've noticed the intensity in your TikTok conversations, right? The intensity of which we are all speaking. Um, even myself, I spent 24 hours stewing over swinging back at somebody who was so disrespectful to us as black women and thinks that it's okay and we're just going to take it. How are you dealing with it? You're in a the school system. Stephanie's in the corporate America seeing a lot of this egregiousness. That's a whole nother. We are going to do a show about corporate stuff too. But what are you doing to cope and get through this? I don't actually engage people on social media. So I, you'll see my posts have intensified over this last week because I'm, I'm upset, but I don't engage other people. And I don't, I don't tolerate people who engage, come at me wrong. And in fact, people are showing up on my page pretty positively. I haven't had a whole lot of people. And I, I choose not to engage someone who comes on my page and obviously are a troll or I just, I do not even respond. They don't deserve my attention. So I just don't give it to them. And I find myself now having to be really disciplined about what I let myself watch. So um, for some reason, police stuff has been coming up a lot on mine. Black people being terrorized by police. I'm scrolling right through that right now. I'm not even letting myself watch it because I found myself getting all emotional and I need to save my emotion for work that I'm, I can actually make a difference in. Mm. Stephanie, what, how are you managing? Um, same. Um, I've been very selective about uh, who I, or what I watch, who I engage in, who I engage with on social media. My block finger is, is strong. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've also been kind of taking a little bit of social media diet. Um, a little bit. So I have I, I lately um, it's just so ironic that Black History Month has been so traumatizing for black people. You could we yeah. get 28 days to just celebrate trauma free and you can pick your shenanigans up at, on March 1st since you can't resist. Um, so definitely a social media diet. Um, I would also add to that I've gotten very protective over my weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that and I I try not to respond to emails after a certain time and do not send emails to other people, um, you know, after like maybe six or seven o'clock and just set them for the next day. I wanted to go back to this black girl magic. Um, Because I love that's one of my very favorite hashtags to use. And I am looking forward to the day where we can celebrate black girl average, black girl regular, you know, Mm. give black women their flowers for just living. 
and not having to be magical um, for other folks to get underpaid, uh, underrepresented, and overworked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, let me just on air apologize for my text messages that come in after seven o'clock at night. Sometimes <laughs> I do. I have my own. The last couple of days have been very tough for me, like just intensified. And I think it's because of the Rihanna uh, things and the Cheryl Lee Ralph and seeing these two highly accomplished women uh, have to be subject to uh, attack uh, who have clearly done things in their lives that most people can't even imagine. Um, I like the comment that you made, Erin. I've used something similar and then I've panicked that I sound arrogant when I say it. But I have, it's the comment about protecting your space and who gets your attention. And, you know, one of the comments I made on social media was there are people that don't even deserve to be in my company. And, you know, it sounds... (laughs) sounds arrogant to say. It sounds naughty, but who cares? But I've gotten to the point where, um, and I think that's a self-protection or self-preservation mode of, I don't owe you a response to your text messages. I don't owe you nothing, You right? And so, um, that's that whole free. That's self-love. That's not about arrogance. It's about self-love. That's right. That's something Angela Davis talked about, um, Recently, she said, it was right before the pandemic, but she said, you know, if there's one thing I could go back and do differently during the 60s, I would have stopped to just love myself more and take time away and just say no to things. And and I think that's really what I'm inviting people to is, is I got to love me. If I don't love me, I'm going to burn out and flame out. And then I'm no good for anybody. And so it's really mm-hmm. not, it's not selfish. Loving me means I'm able to love other people and do the work effectively. That's right. Mm-hmm. Because if um, we don't take care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to do this work, right? Because this work is so intense, so complex, so hard. You know, I have to speak up in an all white community where I feel like I don't have maybe the three of you here in person, you know, as that backup. It's intense. So I have to take care of me. So I'm going to do that first, which is why I cleaned my oven on Sunday, because that was self-love for me. (laughs) I talked to my sisters. That was self-love for me. You know, it's like they were like, "You're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, do not let that bother you, you know. Yeah. And that uh, part of that self-love, right, is that community of people, um, and for me in particular, Black women, that I can just be like, what the what? You know, and have sort of this uh, authentic conversation about everything that's going on and, and feeling like, you know, no, you know, this, it's not you, you are not the drama. And so Cindy, a lot of our conversations are that. So it's like that mutual aid. (laughs) It's like that mutual, that mutual aid um, and support. And so I think that is, I think that's very important. And also I think as black women, when we talk about how trauma is passed down uh, generationally, black women uh, 
we are used to and socialized to be everything to everybody, whether it's during the the period of enslavement, uh, reconstruction, restoration, Jim Crow, all of the movements related to those, you know, we were on those front lines. And sometimes the creators of those movements and then relegated to the back. So uh, I think that is a generational curse collectively that we as Black women need to um, be intentional on breaking we cannot and should not be expected to be everything to everybody. Yeah, those are very powerful words. I will also echo that the laughs that I have with each of you individually help get me through the day. Like sometimes just the howling. I will say Stephanie had me in gut-wrenching laughs this past weekend that I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. (laughs) But it's because we talk, you know, when we break down some of these issues that we're all contending with, to be able to release that. um, and, And like for myself, I've just stopped. Like I just don't let Sundays, I just don't respond. Like I don't want, people need to understand I can't solve every problem for everybody. I care, but I can't solve it. And I can't allow it to penetrate me as much and just into my spirit. You know, back to um, Shasta here in the last couple of minutes, everything we just talked about, you know, she's going to have to deal with uh, in a very grotesque system that doesn't want to see her succeed. Uh, And she's younger than most of those elected officials down there. So that's going to be fascinating to watch and see what she has to contend with um, as a new party chair that people can't, they can't just fire her because like they do, you know, when we had jobs or if they don't like you, they can just fire you. But when you are elected, she has a role and a responsibility. So she's going to incur a lot of stuff from the folks that believe that they're better suited to know about our lives than we are. So I appreciate it. She knows a lot of people down there and she knows a lot of good people that are down there, which is good. I think a lot of people down there have her back like we all do. And I I think, um, I I think she is going to, I hope she's going to push some buttons and Mm -hmm. as they say, kick ass and take names. Um, in, in that in that kind of bold way to to push policy to where it needs to be for all people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we elect these folks. We want them to push policy, progressive policy for all people. When we all win, everybody wins. How many times we got to say that? Erin, were you going to comment? No, just um, I mean she's got a she's got a row. It's just so interesting, Cindy. You and I have talked about this before. Seattle, in particular, loves to talk about itself as really progressive, and and I think there's there's the tension here for me. Uh, you know, she's located in Seattle, so even though it's right. Democratic Party for the state, she's still located in Seattle. And my call again to the white folks out there who say they're progressive. My call for you is like, put your money where your mouth is. So y'all have said you want more people of color. Y'all have said you want progressive. Y'all have said, this is what you want. So now show up for her, show up for her or else I don't want to hear you talking about being progressive anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And she's probably also going to do a heavier reach into Eastern Washington yeah. where we need to penetrate and get more people of color there. So yes, she's, we do need the help of all of our a- allies and all the people who watch the show and pay attention to the work that we're all doing here. Look, we're at the hour. These conversations always tend to go by quick. Let me talk about just very quickly next week's show because next week's show uh, we're going to be discussing policing in Seattle. And so we have uh, the Seattle Chief of Police, Chief Diaz, coming on uh, next week. We're going to get to talk with him about uh, the latest incident that we just all saw on camera with uh, the black male who was accosted by the police officer and the white people who had to step in to stop a shooting from happening. So to your point, Aaron, about progressive Seattle, we still have a lot of work to do uh, here uh, from a very basic level. I'm also hoping uh, by next week to have reached out to a couple of the senators. I'm trying to understand more about the uh, bill, excuse me, the bill that Representative Jesse Johnson passed on the chokeholds. It's my understanding it's now back up for debate or that that's, there's work to try to tear that apart too. So Again, the work is not done. And even for when we get people elected into seats, that's just the very beginning point. Uh, Helping them to prosper uh, and move forward is the work we all continue to do. Stephanie, Aaron, and Joy, thank you for joining me uh, this evening on this show. To our viewers who watch the show, thank you for joining us uh, this evening on Heartbeat. And we look forward to seeing you next Wednesday evening, same time, same place. Have a good week, everybody. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.